Tonight we're going to learn about Simon the Samaritan. So we are continuing in Acts chapter 8. Can all turn there. Last week was Independence Day, but the week before that we learned about Stephen. I missed that. And yeah, so he stood before the same Sanhedrin that conspired against Jesus months after killing Jesus and was bold enough to give them a history lesson and then call them to repentance and they also killed him and that charge was sort of led by Saul who we know as Paul and there was this group of people that started an argument with Stephen as he was distributing goods to the people and Saul sort of led this argument, which obviously turned into them ultimately killing Stephen. So that's where we pick up the story in verse 1 of chapter 8. It says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. And again, he was more than consenting. He was probably leading the argument that started and... uh, Passed out the stones. Passed out the stones. I mean, he was a part of this thing. Uh, And it says, "At At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So all these thousands of Christians that have come to know the Lord, except for the apostles, the apostles stay in Jerusalem, but all the other, basically this almost like megachurch at this point, they're all scattered because of the persecution into all kinds of areas. And it says, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations for him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So what happens after the death of Stephen is they sort of honor Saul by like laying their garments in front of him, like, you led this thing, you are now basically the guy. So he takes on this charge, he takes on the honor of the people who have positioned themselves against God's people, and he starts hunting people down and sometimes killing them, but mostly imprisoning them, and he's just searching people out. Verse 4, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And this is one of those amazing things that God uses such a horribly negative thing for his good. And we see that with the exiles. They were totally wicked and disobedient to God for hundreds of years. So he sets up these exiles to teach them a a lesson to change their heart. And in that, he says that they're going to be scattered and then brought back. But in their scattering, they will be telling people this story. And God repeats over and over, so that the world will know I am good. During the exiles, he is preparing the world for the Christ preparing the Gentile nations even for the opening of the doors, for the the time of grace and preparing the world for the Christ to come and reconcile them all back to himself. Here, the scattering is happening, happening because of persecution, not because they are being disobedient, but because they're being obedient. And when they're being scattered, they're kind of doing the same thing, but in a more righteous way. They're preaching, they're telling the good news of Jesus, of the Christ, and now telling people, 
how they all can be reconciled to God. And just a, a really cool thing that Saul meant this for wicked, but God meant it for good. And obviously we see that throughout the scriptures, but just a little nugget there. Verse 5 says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Philip, if you remember, he was one of the deacons that was set up along with Stephen. So here we're going to see Philip again going beyond his calling of just distributing goods and, and money to the people in need and going out to preach and do miraculous things and really be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do these awesome things. And it says, And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out, and many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Uh, this is not in my notes, but this is it, it. So many incredible healings and miracles are happening by this man just because he's making himself available for the Holy Spirit to use. He's going and he's preaching and he's putting himself in a position to where he is able, because he is willing, to be used by the Holy Spirit. And uh, before we go on, I just wanted to pause and talk about, they're, they're in this area of Samaria. Some of your Bibles will say that it's the city of Samaria. Some will just say it's a city in Samaria. But the point is, they're in Samaria. And so I wanted to pause and just talk about the Samaritans. Who were they? Where did they come from? Why is there this animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans? I'm not sure if you guys have ever looked into that. Do you guys have any opening thoughts before we sort of unpack that a little bit? Go ahead. I said, oh, all I said was, I forget. Yeah. We know about the woman at the well, right? We've all heard that Samaria was sort of in the middle of these, of Israel. It, it was totally in the middle of Israel, and what people would do is they would travel around Samaria because they didn't want to pass through Samaria. They would, you know, on the days that the wind was blowing th from Samaria, they would all cover their faces. It was seen as unclean, filthy, just all the wickedness that they could think of was in Samaria. We know Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which is, the Jews would see that as an oxymoron. So I kind of went a little nerd style on this to figure out, like, where did this come from? Why the animosity? Who are these people? So we can turn to, we'll come back to Acts, so I don't know if you want to leave a bookmark there, but we're going to do some Old Testament digging here. We're going to go to Second Kings, chapter 17. 2 Kings 17, yeah. What has happened here is the Assyrian exile has, has taken place. Again, the, the people of God were disobedient to God for hundreds of years. He keeps telling them, he sends prophet after prophet after prophet, change your ways, You're, you will be punished if you continue in this way, and they, they never change. 2 Kings 17, verse 24. Verse 24. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Savarvim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria, 
instead of the children of Israel. So he removed the children of Israel because of the exiles. The exile means they were taken from their land and they were taken to Assyria. He removed the Israelites and these people are also displaced. It's sort of a power move and so he's taking them from their land and putting them in the land of Samaria. And they took possessions of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. And it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Uh, Therefore, he has sent lions among them, and indeed they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God. Yes, they are being punished. It's not quite just because of the rituals and this, oh, it's just another God. That's kind of how they're treating it, right? It says, Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let, Let them go and dwell there, and let them teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear God. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places which the Samaritans had made every nation in the cities where they dwelt. For time's sake, we're going to skip down to verse 32. And it says, So they feared the Lord because this priest taught them the ways of the law, the, the, the ways of Yahweh, right? And it says, so they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods, according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. So there's this sort of half-hearted doing these rituals just to please God, but they're still worshiping these idols. They're learning the our scriptures. They're learning the Old Testament. They're learning the ways of Yahweh and doing some of these rituals, but they're sort of obviously half-hearted and pulled in all these different directions. So that's sort of the beginning of it. Then let's turn to Ezra chapter 10. I have a question. Yeah. Are there actual lions, or is that just like, like... I would say they're probably actually lions, yeah. It's like a rat problem. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Lions were... There's just lions roaming around, killing... There was well, lions a lot in the Old Testament, and it's like, we don't have lions here, so. <laughs> Yeah. And then a lion came out and killed this person, like, a lion! Really yeah. yeah. Terrifying. It's like in John Kennedy, like... Lions will kill people. I think it's just kind of like I'm just picturing like God killing lions. So like literally like three lions walking up together. Like, <laughs> like we're here. Yeah. Like, just do like like just them walking up. And, like, well, even the way it says it killed some of them. So like the way they make it sound is like it wasn't a big deal. I mean, some of them. <laughs> well, you imagine a lion running into a crowd. Everybody scatters, right? They knew yeah, that it was a punishment from God, though. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like, we read so much about the protection that God has over the children of Israel and us, right? And how all he has to do is loosen that grip of protection over the land and in come lions. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. 
It's also interesting. I don't know how this ends, but like, if God sends lions because they're not following like him, then wouldn't like the half-heartedly followingness be almost <laughs> worse? Good question. Uh, yes, is the answer, but. We're not going to finish that story. I'm just going to leave you there. I'll leave that study for, for you for another time. We're just talking about the Samaritans and who they are right now. So that this is the beginning of the sort of animosity of Samaritans. All these people who were not supposed to be in their land, placed in their land so during the exiles. was part of the tribes of Israel. It was a, it was a area within Israel, yes. Yes. And so all those people just got placed in Samaria. It's like a melting It was, people. at that time... Do you know why they chose Samaria? It was kind of the capital. Oh, okay. So it would be like if somebody took us over, they would remove all of our leaders and all of any Americans from D.C. And they, this is our capital now. And they'd be like people from all over. Okay. So it was like, it was kind of the capital of the time. Okay. We're going to fast forward through the exiles... Ezra and Nehemiah are crazy awesome books, really cool, lots of fulfillment of prophecy, and what is happening here is they're, they're, they're being reunited. Israel is coming out of exile, back into Israel, and they are being called to rebuild the city, okay? And in verse 3, okay, they're rebuilding the city. And then also Ezra, as a priest, is trying to keep them to remember, because again, God did all this to change their heart, which he does. And we all have heard that verse very much, where he takes out the heart of stone and puts in the heart of flesh. If you do the research, he did that by the exiles. That's what the point of the exiles were to do, is to remove that heart of stone and place in the heart of flesh. Through punishing them, right, as you punish a child, yes, it hurts, and it sucks, but the whole point is to bring you into a better life and a better relationship with God. That's, that's how he fulfilled that thing. So he brings them here, and then Ezra, as the priest, is trying to keep them in line. And it says, now therefore, let us make a covenant with our God. Wait, sorry. Yeah. You're in Ezra, but we're in Ezra. Ezra 10. Thank you for keeping me on the toes. <laughs> keeping, keeping me honest here. Ezra 10, verse 3. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the law. Arise for this matter is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leaders of the priests, the Levites, and all Israel swear an oath that they would do according to this word. So they swore an oath. And the reason they're promising this is because they're God from the very beginning, right? This goes all the way back to Genesis 6. God says always, like, don't intermarry. And we're told that now. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't marry somebody who isn't a Christian. Back then, don't marry somebody who isn't a Jew because they're going to take you and God warns them exactly what happens if you marry somebody who is worshiping another God, they will 
take you away from me, and you will worship that other god. And that's what happens over and over and over and over again. And so what's happening here is Ezra is like, you're taking all these foreign wives, and you need to divorce them now. And he makes them all promise that thing. Same thing happens in Nehemiah, chapter 13. What verse, Steve? Actually, let's go to Nehemiah 4 first. I'm I'm really going to mix you guys up. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. But it so happened when Sanballat, okay? Normally we sort of breeze over these names and we don't remember them. Remember that name, right? Sanballat. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, right? This is the same time period. Ezra, Nehemiah, they worked together very closely to bring the people out of exile to rebuild the city. And that's what they're doing that he was furious. Sanballat is furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria. So the Sanballat guy from Samaria, he's leading the army of Samaria. And he's speaking to them now and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? So he positions himself against the Jews. He's talking to the army, saying, we cannot let them rebuild the city. This is our land now. We were placed here however many years ago, and this is our land. We don't want them to now make a new... Because what had happened when they came out of exiles is there was no longer this ten tribes, two tribes thing. They were reunited. And that, that, again, these books are so incredible because the prophecies of Israel being reunited and acting as one nation with one heart to follow their one God, it happens. It's fulfilled in Ezra and Nehemiah, specifically in, in chapter 8. There's so many fulfillments there. But the whole book of Nehemiah is, is fulfillment of a lot of those prophecies. So they are coming out, and so instead of having sort of two or three capitals all separated and all over the place, Jerusalem was going to be their capital. They are rebuilding Jerusalem first and the wall around it. And so the Samaritans, the new Samaritans, right, they're saying, we don't want them to have a capital. We don't want them to be here. Fast forward now to chapter 13. Yeah. I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting to a goal here. Nehemiah does much of the same thing that Ezra did. He sees that there is impurity, and he's trying to cleanse it, and he sees that there's all of these mixed marriages, and he's saying, this has to stop. And it says in verse 23, Nehemiah 13, 23, In those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, Moab, And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck them, uh, struck some of them, again, some of them, just just some of them, (laughs) struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor make their daughters for your sons yourselves. Skip down to verse 28. He says, And the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Elishib, uh, the high priest, was a son-in-law of 
Sand Ballot. That's him. Sand Ballant, the Horror Knight. Therefore, I drove him from me. Now, Josephus, the great Jewish historian. This is not scripture, but this is uh, a historian that is pretty accurate, pretty reliable. He says that this priest that was driven out by Nehemiah at this point was Manasseh. And that when Nehemiah drove him away, that he went to his father-in-law, Sanballat, in Samaria, who built him a temple on Mount Gerizim, just like the temple in Jerusalem. So, now we remember Jesus goes and talks to the woman at the well, who, by the way, has sort of this family curse going on where she has got five divorces, just like the generations before her kind of came from divorce, because what happens is where did they drive these wives out to? Where else are they going to go? They go to Samaria. They follow Sanballat. They go to Samaria. And so now what you have is people who grew up worshiping as a Jew, the children, right? You have people who were married to a Jewish person for however many years, and now they're put away, they're put off, they're divorced, and they're shut down into Samaria. And so that's where the animosity comes from. If you've ever interacted with a family of divorce, there's a little animosity between husband and wife. And there's a lot of family history tied up into this. And now there's a lot of competition because what does the woman say? Oh, Jesus, I perceive that you're a prophet. My people say that we should worship on that mountain. Your people say you should worship on that mountain. So there's that temple that exists in Samaria because of this moment, according to Josephus. So why, though, are all the Jews, like, why do they hate the Samaritans then, though? I feel like the Samaritans would hate the Jews, like, more so. I think that there was an equal amount of hate. And again, if you've ever been in or around a family of divorce, there's animosity. I mean, most couples I've seen cannot be in the same city together without having some sort of explosive argument. Like, sometimes there has to be communication because they have kids together, but it, it is, it's ugly. It's ugly. And that's why, um, not in my notes, but we'll go to Malachi. I have a quick question. Yeah. So... Malachi chapter 2. If we, so they're divorcing all these people and they're sending them away. But how is that different than like the situation with like Ruth, who was a Moabite? Mm. And that was... In the, Jesus's line. Yeah. Great question. Because she said, I will serve your God. She went with her mother-in-law and said, I want to be... The argument is, so were these people. (laughs) Some of them, yes, some of them, no. Because if you were, if there was somebody that was, like, maybe legitimately, like, serving God, that seems kind of uncool. Go with me to Malachi chapter 2. This is not (laughs) my notes, but we have to talk about it. Let me find this real quick. I also have a question, though. Yeah. Um... Was Nehemiah the one pulling people's hair? Yeah, yeah. he was going for it. All right. <laughs> he was putting it down. He's like, stop it. I didn't go with a more adult. If you don't do that, it's scrappy. <laughs> All right, here we go. Verse 10. 
Oh, two. Chapter two, Malachi two. I said it this time. You did. I know. I heard. Verse ten. Have we not all one Father? He's not talking to the whole world. He's (laughs) speaking to Jews here. Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. There it is. Don't do that. (laughs) May the Lord cut off... From the tents of Jacob, the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Okay, again, you're awake and aware, you know what you're doing, and you're marrying somebody from a different religion on purpose. And he's saying, may you be cut off from the people of God. Verse 13, and this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Malachi is post-dates. It comes after Ezra and Nehemiah, and if we skip a little ahead, chapter 3, God says in verse 4, Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former days, and I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So, I should mention, commentators, I would say most commentators say what they were doing is divorcing their Jewish wives and then going and finding foreign gods. Looking at the history that we just looked at, and looking at even the text itself, I do not see evidence for that. I think very strongly that this is talking about... (laughs) Exactly what we just read, that, that Ezra and Nehemiah, while seeking purity, right, went a little too far, got a little too violent, and said, you disobeyed, therefore divorce. Covering a sin with another sin, not a good idea. This happens today. People get saved, or, or maybe they've walked away, and in that time of being walked away, they married someone having already been divorced and they come to the church and they say oh I was divorced and then I remarried even though I was the wrongdoer like I should have stayed single this is the biblical precepts right this is what I should have done should I and this question happens within the church today should I divorce my new wife (laughs) no no you don't cover a sin with another sin 
God hates divorce. He doesn't want to see that happen. You ask forgiveness and you move forward. Now, if you're awake and aware of the situation and you do it anyway, that's between you and God. That's evil. That's bad. And Malachi says, God says, may you be cut off from the people of God. Do not cover us in with another sin of divorce. That's my take on it. There are plenty of people who disagree, but again, looking at the history, looking at the context of these verses, I see nowhere where it even hints that they are divorcing their Jewish wives to take foreign ones. This is very clearly, to me, speaking of the times that they divorced their foreign wives because they were trying to be pure. But again, this happens over and over and over again. We seek to know God, we take what he tells us, and then we take it too far and we create all of our own laws and rules and put them on top of what he told us to do. None of that was in my notes. But so it completes the circle. That if the foreign family was following God, like Ruth, that was a bad thing. And again, God says that he's going to be swift to punish those who put away an alien. An alien, obviously meaning a foreigner. (laughs) Not a UFO. She did go in the But that's really confusing because it makes it seem like in Ezra and Nehemiah that that's like what God wanted them to do. It doesn't, it does, because Ezra and Nehemiah are just telling you the facts. Here's what happened. It doesn't say, and God said this. It just, it's happening. This is what happened. This is what we observed. This is what we did. And Nehemiah is writing the book. He's like, and I did this. This is how we did it. Of course he thinks he's right. Again, there are plenty to disagree with me, but even the way he handled it with violence, yes, there is a time for that. What's that? Hair pulling. Hair pulling. It's scrappy. It's scrappy. And, and forcing them to divorce when we don't see that that was a, a calling from God. That was them, yes, seeking to be pure, but maybe taking that too far, as we do so often. So do you think that's why, maybe this is reading into it too much, but do you think that that's maybe one of the reasons why Jesus went to the woman at the well? For sure. They knew the law, many of them. Many of them were children of this very thing, and they were still practicing, and they were you know, trying to worship at this other temple. Some of them were worshiping other gods because that's what was happening in Samaria. And there was this sort of cult situation happening. It was like they had the truth, but they were mixing it with all this filth, and there was a mess. So, yes, there was some really filthy, horrible things there, but there were also people who loved God there. That's why Jesus went there. That's why people... That's why Jesus talks about the Good Samaritan. Like, that's why he goes there, because there are still... He was sent to Jews first, and then he sends his people to Gentiles, but interesting that Jesus says, I was only sent to my people, and then he goes to Samaria. Interesting. Um, so, I just want to make sure, maybe I got this wrong. So, you have this king who uprooted all these people and put them in Samaria. Yes. And then, they wanted to make, we have, we're trying to make Jerusalem the new capital, the new capital or this new, like, place. And so all of those people who made, like, are those the people that they started to divorce their wives? So all the people, the foreigners that the king of Assyria puts there, uh-huh. 
They're dwelling there during the exiles. Then after the exiles, Israel is reunited. The people of God have changed their hearts. They've repented. They come back to build Jerusalem. And so the Samaritans, the foreigners who are living there, who have this sort of priest that they've been mixing this cult thing going on, they don't want the Jews to come back because they don't want them to be a power. That's always been the fear that these Jews will raise up and they'll be this powerful nation. So they don't want that, so they oppose it, but Israel still rebuilds. Then after Israel starts rebuilding and the wall is complete, all those prophecies fulfilled, then Nehemiah says, all right, let's get back to basics. They all praise God in unity, and then they start purging themselves of all the things that they have done wrong. And they say, they start reading the law every single day, and they're starting to try and follow these things. And Nehemiah sees where God says, don't marry foreign wives, or don't choose foreign husbands for your daughters. And he says, we did that. We've got to purge. And so then they divorce their wives, many of them going to... Samaria, And so now you have this rivalry, our religion's right, your religion's wrong, you know, okay. we're better, we're better, and this sort of divorced nation. And again, interesting that the woman at the well is sort of in that family curse, yeah. you know? She's had five div- divorces, and she's living with a guy who's not even her, her husband. Yeah. So then, hypothetically, a lot of the foreign spouses could have been like predated like during the exile yeah yeah so some of them happened before the exile some of them happened during the exile some of them happened probably after they were reunited like they were just happening all the time they weren't heeding the word of of God but then once they realized oh shoot we're doing this wrong thing don't do another wrong thing to cover up their other wrong thing that's where they sort of misstepped. We can now go back to Acts. I like that. Sorry. No, no, no. I, don't be. I like the uh, context of sort of knowing more about the people group. We start talking about the Samaritans. Who are they? Where do they come from? We might just leave it at that. It's, we're already at 40 minutes, and we can meet Simon. Simon. Next week. I think it's really like that's really interesting because I've I've never like they you know they talk about that like the woman I love like reading about the woman at the well and like that's like one of my favorite stories in like the New Testament. Yeah. And it's really cool, but I've never like learned why there was such like disgust between the Samaritans. Yeah, I always had this cloudy idea of like oh they were like half Israelites, half not because of intermarriage because like, that was just like, oh, something about that. They viewed them as unclean. Those are the unclean people. They call themselves Jews. They They say they worship the same God, but they're a cult. That was true of many of them, but not all of them. But I think it, like, that's what, I feel like I've heard, oh, they're the unclean people, but it's like, but why? That's what my question was. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so I've never, I've never asked that question. Like, I've never, like, learned why. Yeah. So it was pretty, like, I feel like that makes, like, even the story of the woman at the well so much more interesting. It does. It sheds a lot of light on, even when you read a Samaritan, that's, that's what I've enjoyed about this study is you go through it and then you're like, oh, 
Yeah. Even the small thing of like, wow, she, she comes from a family of divorce. Yeah. And statistically now today we can look at if your parents were divorced, you're, I forget what the statistic is, but you're more likely to divorce. It's something that you're your used faith to. faith in marriage it goes. Yeah. Just going and it turns into sort of a family curse of like, well, my, you know, great grandmother divorced, my grandmother divorced, my family mother divorced. Family your own head. Yeah. And then, break yeah, especially obviously with Jesus, he will break family curses and that's, he, he does that all the time. I think that's really cool then, like, that Philip then goes down to Samaria <laughs> to, like, preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. That makes it kind of more, like, and, it's and a then they more, like, they have, they paid attention to what was said. Yeah. Like, that's really kind of cool. Yeah. And the woman at the well, like, when she goes back and she's, like, telling all these people, and all these people end up, like... So when she says the Christ is here... Yeah. All of a sudden, they're like, oh, shoot. Like, they knew who that is. Right, yeah. You know, like, yeah. they have a history there. They almost, are, like, they're more receptive. That's not No. For sure it's not. Yeah, especially for it to be a woman that's, yeah. like, saying yeah. these things for them yeah. to receive it. That's crazy. That's another interesting point that I've noticed throughout Acts so far. Luke records the men and women that are present, the men and women that are being baptized. And it's one of those funny things that people are always up in arms about how Christians talk about women and, you know, the Bible disrespects women. And it's like, you are tripping. Like, at every point, Jesus is honoring women and using women for these amazingly crazy jobs. Like, Mary, mother of Jesus, probably this 15, 16-year-old girl called to, like, father... God. <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. Like, that's awesome. And I wonder what she felt about her parenting skills after she realized <laughs> who her son was. She's like, I remember the time when I spanked him and he didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty yeah. crazy to think about women. Like, and during that time, we're treated like mm-hmm. sometimes in that culture, still are treated very badly. Yeah. But, like, in the Bible, women are treated, like, Jesus, like, his whole ministry, like, revolved around with with women. So it's really cool to read about how he used them. He goes to, at some points, he teaches, remember we talked about the the temple and how they had separated it? Mm -hmm. He goes to the Mm -hmm. court of women. He's teaching in the court of women. And it's like... People didn't do that. That was like where the women were. They, they can hang out in there. They can't come and like hear the teaching. I feel or the like women were the one first ones that saw that like he wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the things with Jewish people about women could have come from the Old Testament scriptures and proverbs that warn people like yeah. beware of the adulterous woman, beware of this woman, beware of marrying women from other cultures or else they'll make you worship their foreign gods and it's always like a woman can be a great danger because she can be such a powerful influence over her husband or a man she's not married to and so it's almost like they took that and bent like we need to suppress these women because yeah. otherwise they'll take over our minds and make us do <laughs> evil and sin <laughs> and even you know 
man being the head of the household, that that has been abused and still is yeah. sometimes. But yeah. like, so it's like the truth that a woman can easily cause a man to sin in those ways can be twisted in that. Okay, since we want to avoid that, let's just go to the extreme. Yeah. I'm not too far off though. I feel like I'm I'm really extreme whenever I like get into some things. <laughs> so like I feel like the way that they're thinking rules and pulling hair. Like, oh. <laughs> like, I think I do that in my own. You're like taking like, notes when I, oh, yeah. I have kids. You know? Hair pulling for sure. You know, like even some of my views of God, I think that like I've distorted him because I went really extreme, and then and so it's so crazy how like read something and see like how they did this yeah it's like oh wait i did that i do this I, yeah totally i think it's just so cool you know jesus we talked about it at selah i think this past selah jesus stands up reads from isaiah this prophecy that he's going to come and heal the brokenhearted right and he says this is being fulfilled now and then he goes to samaria close the book and all these brokenhearted people who have been put off, divorced, shoved away, told they're wicked, told they're dirt, told they're filthy, and he goes there to heal all those broken hearts in Samaria. Specifically because the Jews just didn't want to hear it. Obviously some did, many did, but I just it's just another thing that I think brings so much depth to the word, just learning these little things that that honestly just aren't taught that much so it's really cool like it just shows even how loving and amazing God really is yeah well I can close in prayer and then we can have some snacks and fellowship uh, so let's do that and next week we'll meet Simon the Samaritan <laughs> Dear God, I just want to thank you so much for tonight and for your word and just how deep it is, God. I pray that you will empower us to dig deeper into it, learn more about uh, you, ultimately, but even when we're looking into the history of things or the background of things and, and doing more of a, a teaching than a preaching, God, I pray that you will, you will use those truths to deepen our knowledge of you and draw us closer to you and as Anna pointed out be introspective and see how we have we have done things and we have failed in ways the same ways that the people in your world have done God and I pray that you will hedge up a protection around us that we will divide your word properly and make sure that we understand it to the best of our ability God I pray that you will give a supernatural understanding as well that we will just be able to again just learn so much more about you as we learn more about your word we love you and praise you and i pray that you bless the rest of this evening in jesus name amen